Hey there, Art World. We are back, and we have a special guest with us today. To my left is Phil Lantis. Good morning, afternoon, <laughs> whatever it is when you're listening. I love it. And of course, we have Miss Art World, a.k.a. Welcome. Catherine. Welcome back, everyone. Before we jump into it, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at artworldpodcast. Um, and also subscribe, and don't forget to write reviews and give us five stars. Yes, if you, and if you love <laughs> leave your social media handle to be entered to win prizes, like yeah. stickers. Ooh. <laughs> Everyone loves stickers. They That's right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I used a sticker to stick onto something. Like, I have stickers, but I've never stuck them onto something. Let's not undersell our prize right now. <laughs> She's I saying they're of that. so much value that she doesn't want to stick them in oh, one yeah. place. That way yeah, she can carry them with her. Yeah. yeah, Highly valuable. Yes. All right. Awesome. So, Phil. Yes. We have you here today to talk about art in schools. Excellent. Which we're really excited about. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up on a farm in Oregon, and I always I fell in love in junior high with theater and film, and so um, I knew I wanted to go to film school. So I looked all around and ended up at a place called State University of New York at Purchase, which was about a half an hour north of New York City. Um, and it was a great experience and studied film there. And then since then, I uh, uh, worked in bookstores for a while and then ended up here at the city of Santa Cruz um, in the 90s and worked my way up to currently I'm the arts and events manager, which I'm very happy to be. Um, and uh, on the side, I do some film work still and do some theater. And, and uh, my wife, who's a professional actress, and I work together on things. So we have a lot of fun. It's not necessarily profitable. Um, theater, I don't think ever is. But uh, the f- film stuff, it's more about just keep working and keeping creative and stuff. And uh, arts education is uh, one of my passions. Um, uh, I actually left the city for a couple of years and ran a, a nonprofit here in Santa Cruz called Theater Arts for Children Foundation. And the uh, main component of that was providing arts education programs in local schools. So it was a great experience, very um, heart growing. Um, once again, not so profitable. It's weird I have that consistency. Um, but you follow your passion. That's exactly right. And I believe strongly in that. And that's a lot to do with arts education as well. It's, it's, it offers an opportunity for students who maybe aren't academically strong or great sports people or you know natural leaders um, who want to go into that side of thing. It's another pathway for uh, people to find themselves in school. And every artist I know, whether they're visual or music or dance or like myself, theater and film, um, they point to that moment of that's when I knew why I was going to school. It kept me going to school because it kept me from you know, wanting to goof off or whatever because I needed to be in school to be in the, the plays or to have an opportunity to do stuff. And I think almost every artist I've ever talked to has that moment or moments when they kind of discover themselves through the arts. Mm-hmm. I think there's a value much broader than that, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little later, but I think arts education is actually for everyone, not just for artists, and, and it should be called creative education. Cool. Oh, I, I like, like that. that. Yeah. I'm happy to expand. <laughs> so the model I use is the 60s. In the 60s, there was sports, right? Um, but then there was this whole movement for physical education. So what do we have now generally? Daytime in school is physical education with its underlying belief that the body is an important thing to keep mm-hmm. in shape. And then after school, those kids who are really interested and are really great at sports get to do sports either at school or or you know through clubs or whatever i think the arts need to adopt the same model where during the day it's creative education and then if you're interested in a particular art form or art forms then after school is the opportunity to pursue that particular art form but there's nothing more powerful to teach creativity than the arts yes there's sciences absolutely and there's technology and all of that should be part of it but the arts are really the best way to teach to, to help individual kids tap into their creative potential. Um, there was a study done by IBM about six years ago, maybe seven years ago now, where they reached out to the CEOs of the top 500 companies in the world. 
and they surveyed them and said, what's important to you? And the number one thing was creativity, what they're looking for in their employees. Because tools change so fast, if you're taught a tool, by the time you actually get out in the workforce, that tool isn't used anymore. And by tools, I mean computer programs, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you have to be creative. You have to have that creativity. That's more important than knowledge and and technical skill because with creativity you can do those other things so i personally believe that our education system should move even more towards creativity and teaching students starting in kindergarten about creativity and making sure it continues as a systemic approach all the way through the end of high school or even into college mm-hmm. um, it that's a, a potentially a huge shift although with things like common core and um, stem or steam with arts added in that those things that are already out there um, those have already been minor steps in that direction but personally and i'm biased i'll own that i think we need to take a big step and really say creativity is the most important thing we should be teaching kids because with creativity comes curiosity it comes um, excitement it comes yeah, all those things that, that, that you need in life to be a happy person, um, but also a good employee. Have you, uh, I'm sure you've heard of Sir Ken Robinson. Um, he does a TED Talk on um, the importance of creativity in schools. And his one of his most famous quotes is, uh, creativity is just as important as literacy because it's a language within itself. And it's going back to what you said about creativity being so important that it needs to be taught and we're not teaching it enough in schools. Well, and the world's changed. I mean, the, the need for creativity is so much higher than it used to be. You know, my dad, who's a wonderful guy, you know, he, he went into the Air Force, or, well, he did a couple of years of college, then he went into the Air Force, then he got out and got a job at IBM, ironically, um, and worked there for 30 years. And, and great, I mean, he provided a great life, and I, I think he enjoyed his job, and he was able to make changes within the job. And that's in IBM, that's a tech company. I, I don't think he was challenged creatively that much. There was moments when he was learning a new program or whatever, but now literally things change so quickly that if you're not staying up with it, I mean, I'm an older person. Um, You can't see that on on podcast, but uh, I am in my 50s and proud of it. I've earned every year. We may have posted your photo. Okay. I look younger than I am, though. It is, because it's your city photo. So I Googled you and found a photo, and it Mainly your wife came up, so I just yeah. stole a city photo. Thank you for not posting my wife, because most people know me as, as Nancy's husband, so I appreciate not having her photo with... <laughs> that hurt the ego a little bit. She's great. I love her to death. If you're listening, dear, I love you immensely, and thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the changes that have happened even in my lifetime are amazing. There was no internet. There was no ATMs. There was no home computers. There was no cell phones and smartphones. One of my favorite stats, and I don't remember, um, or pieces of information, I don't remember where it came from, but Bill Clinton at the end of his presidency had less access to information as the president than anyone with a smartphone has now. Dang. Wow. And that That's was amazing. not that long yeah. ago. Yeah. Not I mean, at all. It, for me, it feels like last year, but yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, that was 20 years ago or less right now, a little under. Um, and just the expansion of ability to get information is so huge. The, you're, we're being inundated and creativity is the filter, mm-hmm. the way to process that, the way to use that in ways that are productive, either for yourself creatively and emotionally or for pay. I mean, that's really the, the goal here. I hate to say that, but <laughs> what school's about is making kids that can function in society and, and earn a good living and all that sort of stuff. So I'm a huge ad, advocate for, for changing the language because often when we change language, it changes perceptions. And I think the arts, and you know, two of us are artists for sure. I, yeah. I don't know if you'd call yourself an artist. <laughs> Not Lisa, quite. <laughs> but, uh, there's an art to uh, event production and podcasting. <laughs> and so and there, podcasting. You go, there you go. Um, but uh, the, the word arts has so much baggage for so many people. You, if you ask most people of my age, oh, I don't know how to do that. I'm not an artist. Mm-hmm. Because there was not great arts education for quite a period of time. I was actually spoiled. I grew up in a small town in Dallas, Oregon. <laughs> 7,000 then, it's about 15,000 now. It's huge oh, now. Ooh, we have really? a McDonald's and a Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, luckily, I grew up in a, a school district in a school system that really valued the arts. So I had the opportunity to, to do a little bit of everything. But like I say, I gravitated towards um, theater primarily. But I did choir and I did visual arts and I did um, uh, uh, speech, competitive speech. Yes, I'm that big of a nerd. I would give up my Saturdays to travel to other high schools to do like, oh, what are going on? Maybe win a trophy. So, um, but it it was a great experience. And I don't think most people, my generation, or especially those that followed right after me, the younger Gen Xers got much arts education generally, unless you were blessed to be in a place that that valued that. So it's coming back. That's the great news. Um, Over the last 10 years, I've seen a lot of improvement in arts education in the schools. Um, but but we have a lot more work to do, and I think once again I'm going to keep selling this. The next step is creative education. What yeah, do you I think oh. is the biggest um, challenge? Like for me, I had a good amount of um, arts education only because my parents were both um, artists. But I feel like when I was growing up, the teachers that I had necessarily couldn't teach creativity right. in that way. Do you think the solution would be to bring in creative people to teach or train the teachers that are already in the classroom to be able to teach creativity? Yes. For both. <laughs> For yes. both. All right. Yeah, and the challenge, that, from my perspective, and spending 20-some years in arts education in one way or another, I think it's threefold. It's always money. It's always time in the day for the kids. And the biggest one is it's not what's tested. And if it's not on the test, it's not given the same value. And it raises the interesting question of how do you test for the arts? Yeah. Now, there, is, there, are, there are standards. The, the state of California has VAPA standards, visual and performing arts standards, that you can teach to and test to. So they're, they're out there, but it's not on the national or the statewide test. You know, what's your art literacy or what's your creative literacy even more? How do you demonstrate creativity in a, a test that asks you to fill out bubbles, you know, in a Scantron yeah. test? That's really not that, you know, a way to, to test that. That's part of the challenge. Um, the other challenge is, is getting educators both strong arts educators or creative educators, but also regular educators to feel comfortable enough to, to teach creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, the example I always use, because uh, the poor elementary school teachers are asked to be everything, right? Mm-hmm. They have to teach PE, they have to teach every subject, they have to teach arts, and, you know, and they end up doing hand turkeys. And that's my, per, my, my negative way of saying, you know, they, they have to do a craft, so they do the classic, you put your hand out and, you know, around Thanksgiving time and draw an outline and then paint and color it to look like a turkey. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not creativity. That's not teaching creativity. It's just like manual dexterity, maybe. So, um, <laughs> so I think it is really taking a strategic approach at training teachers about creativity and the value of creativity. And once again, that's where it's important to change that that wording or the the way it's branded because if you ask most teachers hey we're going to teach you about arts they're going to freak out or or at least not want to do that Mm -hmm. Um, there are of course wonderful teachers who are an exception to this and i'm generalizing horribly because that's kind of how you have to talk about these things and the other side of it is find a pathway for artists in the community to learn more about educating and, and the language of education about what the standards are, about creating syllabus, about teaching two things that can be tested. So it's kind of working at it from both ends. I have to say that LA County Arts Commission does an amazing job. They've been at it since 2000, I think. Um, maybe 2001, they created a thing called Arts for All, which is now called the Arts Education Collective. And I was lucky enough to, to not be in the core group, but kind of when they rolled it out, the first group of folks that kind of got a chance to, to look at it and give input um, back in, I think it was 2001, I guess. Um, and a very aggressive, very optimistic, which was nice to see. They wanted to get in every district in the uh, LA County to have them create an arts education plan and create a pathway towards increasing arts in the schools. And it's focused on in the schools. Um, and they've been pretty successful. I think they've got all except for a couple of districts out of the 89 or 87 that are in L.A. County, including all of the districts up here 
um, in in Santa Creed is. So did they give money to the districts to create these? Well, they provided. They did a couple different things. They did have some funding, but their primary thing is they would assign like an, a, a consultant, basically that they would pay for. So there, somebody would come up and work with the district and lead community teams. I've actually been on a couple of those. Um, in Saga's school district here locally over the years, um, and they would lead them through the process and kind of help them align stuff. They also do um, surveying to see where each district's at um, to kind of get a sense of you know where there needs to be focus and stuff. The challenge with that is you know some of the districts and our our end of the valley is very good about this. I mean our end of the county, but a lot of the districts just don't even respond, so they have no idea you know what the issues are or what they're offering, but it's a, re- a really interesting way for government to kind of direct it. Um, locally here at the city, we, we do primarily programming or it's education programming, but we're in the process of shifting and kind of taking more of a strategy perspective and trying to work with our, our five local districts to provide that same sort of like um, expertise, not that we have it, but bring in people with the expertise. So we're excited about shifting our efforts to try to become more about bridge building and making sure that that the community is is getting the best, or the students are getting the best at arts education, creative education that they can. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So the city comes in and does the arts education programs, um, and. Do you work directly with the school districts, or do the school districts have a separate educa- arts education program already in there? There's a few, di- um, depending on the district. Each district's a little different. Most mm-hmm. of them, if not all of them, have some level of arts education currently. Okay. But then there's also, there's a K-12 through consortium out of the College of the Canyons that does some great work with both teacher training and offering programming in the schools, or bringing students to the Performing Arts Center and, and exposing them to, the, to art that way. Um, and there's many other groups locally that provide arts education in some form or another. What we have traditionally done is just be a program provider, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's been great yeah. for years and years. But we realized that maybe we should take a step back from doing that and putting our resources and energy into just being another programmer and really becoming a facilitator. So what we're looking at is a program out of the Kennedy Center in Washington um, that's called Any Given Child, actually. Ensuring the Arts for Any Given Child is the full name. And you have to apply for it, and once you're accepted, they actually send experts out to work with the entire community to really figure out arts education and figure out where there are gaps and how to fill those gaps and stuff. So it's a wonderful program. It's kind of what the county was doing uh, um, district by district, but done at the community level with the city and businesses. And because we have five districts in our valley, it'll hopefully address the, the gaps between districts. So it's, it's aggressive or, or optimistic, like I said, about the county, but that's what we need to be, I think, to make the change in life. And, and we're at a good point where I think millennials and even the next generation, um, uh, Generation Z, I think, no, yeah, I think they're called Generation Zs. I prefer I generation, so I forget which <laughs> one it is, um, are really craving creativity. And that we, we as a, a country right now, create a lot more art than we used to because of things like YouTube and because you have access without barriers, you know, every everybody can be a creator today. I mean, this podcast is a great example. You would have 10 years ago, 20 years ago, had to get studio time at a radio station, record it, that you had no way to distribute it. So you'd have to try to find, you know, hopefully some somebody that's willing to run it on air because there was no way to deliver it otherwise. I guess you could, you know, burn your own cassette tapes or something, but that seems a little lame. <laughs> hey, you want to listen to my podcast? Hanging outside a bar or something, trying to sell podcasts. I don't know. No. I don't think that would work. I'll try it. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's amazing that change, that access, that ability to, to self-generate art is really, it's huge. Um, there's, a study I read where we haven't had this level of art creativity since the turn of the century 110, 20 years ago. And that was because they had no access to art. They had to create self-create. So there were a lot more pianos and guitars and, and a lot more painters and a lot more people who would do dances you know, themselves because there wasn't access to 
you know, there wasn't TV or radio or even phonograph. So if you wanted to engage with art, you either had to go see a show occasionally when it came to town or, or create your own. So um, it's interesting that it's, it, there's this huge cycle of art creators that then become art listeners or, or uh, fans, and now we're back to a, a you know, generation that's all about creation. And I don't think, you know, millennials probably know a little bit what it was like before you could do that, but the Generation Z or I, Generation Kids, have no idea what that's like. Mm-hmm. My, my children, like, I want to make a YouTube. Let's film right now. And, you know, they're not on YouTube. Sorry, <laughs> um, George and Sally, but um, not quite comfortable with that yet. I'm not sure why. I'm, I'm old. That's why. So, um, but it's, it's amazing that they're like, oh, yeah, and their friends have YouTube yeah. channels, and they're making videos about their life. And, I mean, that is arts creation and it's mm-hmm. it's so easy it's baffling to me <laughs> yeah. I love um, what you said about changing the dialogue and and talk having arts and schools be more about being creative I feel like today um, I don't know any big company you talk to my brother's a president of a tech company and he's always saying he wants creative people and it's such a technical field that's not something you would imagine but even Millennials we've been taught for so long to stay in a box and color within the lines that we have a hard time breaking out and being creative and I feel like I'm kind of the opposite of you two where I didn't have much of an arts education um, because I was told from the beginning she can't draw on a straight line she's not gonna be an artist like why would let's put her in sports um, <laughs> which was great for me in so many right. ways nothing, nothing but, wrong um, you right. know taking what I believe was one art class my entire entire education isn't enough right well and that Actually, the thing that you were doing was probably being more creative as opposed yeah. to replicating. And, and art shouldn't be about replication. It should, yeah, of course, there's technique and you need to have mm-hmm. skill and technique and all. I'm not putting that down at all. But really, the thing that drives it is that, hey, I, I can make my tree blue or whatever, you know, just looking at the world a little differently. If everyone I'm going to use, I'm not, I don't mean to pick on painting, mm-hmm. but if everyone <laughs> painted in a realistic mode, how boring would that be? Especially yeah. now that we have photo, photography. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love hyper-realism. It's amazing, the technique yeah. of that. And I love that there are some artists that do that. But if all of them did that, it would just be a boring world. The most exciting stuff to me is where you take something and look at it differently and it becomes... You know, it opens you up mm-hmm. as the viewer. You look at it and you go, huh, I never would have thought of that. And it makes me think about, you know, that tree differently or whatever. I'm not such a big fan of abstract. I don't have enough knowledge. I, I appreciate it and respect it, but it, it tends to not move me emotionally, maybe only, you know, kind of intellectually. And personally, as an art person, and maybe this is why I was attracted to theater and film, is it's about that emotional connection. And I would argue theater is one of the strongest for that. I mean, of course, there's abstract theater and, Mm -hmm. you know, absurdism and all that. But theater tends to be about a character that you get sucked into and there's some sort of emotional catharsis or, you know, some emotional climax that is the key to a dramatic piece like that. So it's just a little different than dancer or visual arts or some other things oh i absolutely agree and i would love to do an entire podcast with like an abstract artist because i don't know what to think half the time <laughs> it's the one area of art where i'm like uh what am i what am i looking at which so. is interesting because it creates a, like a, a feeling of less than sometimes mm-hmm. um like you know i i sorry nance um, my wife doesn't like to go to museums with me because I'll stop and look at pieces that she's not that interested in. Mm-hmm. And we just have different tastes when yeah. it comes to visual art. Um, and part of it is she always admits that she feels kind of like, well, I'm stupid when it comes to visual art. And no one's stupid when they, but you can't help but feel that way. Like, exactly. I don't get this, so I must not be smart enough. Or I must, you know, I must have missed the, the class that told me what this is all about. Um, and, and luckily, I'm not quite in that position I, mm-hmm. I I actually probably spend more time looking at things that I don't get because I'm like why why am I what is it what am I supposed to get and I try to you know connect to it emotionally yeah. and you know it's a very weird uh, cycle that's maybe not too <laughs> healthy that, you know spending 30 minutes in front of a painting that I hate <laughs> it's just my nature like <laughs> yeah you gotta challenge yeah, yourself exactly right? and actually hate would be an emotion so it's more like 
just baffled. Yeah. The things that baffle me intrigue me sometimes because I, I want to figure out why don't I get it. And, you know, you read the little description like four times. And usually the artists who are dealing in that that abstracts they're not giving you any hints when it comes to their <laughs> description you know the, the untitled. title like yeah untitled, yeah, untitled. Ten. <laughs> yes like, why oh. 10 where's the untitled one through nine i'm up in arms why couldn't you just title it give me <laughs> yeah. a clue people exactly at least say the color some of yeah. them are nice enough to say work in blue or whatever yeah. blue four okay okay i can see it's blue I'm yeah. connected a little bit. In Henry's abstract, that's when I just go to um, one of the one-liners Catherine will give me, and I'm like, oh, the movement of the piece and use of colors is it's outstanding. I <laughs> and I move balance. on. Balance. Yeah. I'm always good with balance. Oh, balance is a good one Balance is a, I'm going to take note. Because <laughs> you can even gesture. Yeah. See, I love the balance. Even if it's completely unbalanced, yeah. it doesn't matter. No one knows. You know, you do a nice sigh. Oh, walk off. Next one. <laughs> Um, it's kind of off topic, but it's something that you said made me think of, there's like a hierarchy in the creative field. Um, how do you see that playing out in arts education? And I can't remember, I think it's, is it fine art, music, theater, dance? I think dance is above theater. Okay. So theater is the Well, and then you get into media arts, graphic design, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that has a purpose is obviously lower for some arbitrary reason. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the the arguments for creative education is it doesn't make those distinctions. It shouldn't make those distinctions. A graphic artist is being just as creative. It's just that they're applying their skill to a different outcome. Mm -hmm. Instead of being displayed in a museum, which is the goal for most visual arts. I'm picking on visual arts today. <laughs> but it's the easiest, I think, for people followers. to visualize. Yeah, when, you, when you're hearing, you can visualize. So, um, but, you know, the challenge for a graphic artist is to get somebody's attention on a poster or something that there's still a lot of skill and, and creativity required. It just has a different outcome. So I'm hoping we move beyond the... Nonprofit, for-profit, you know, commercial versus art for art's sake. Um, You know, obviously both ends of all those spectrums need to exist, but we shouldn't put up such big walls between it. It's interesting, my wife being uh, an actress, there's this huge divide between theater, which is almost always done for free, at Mm. least in this, in LA area, now that the equity waiver thing went away, mostly, Um, and entertainment where you get overpaid (laughs) a lot of times especially if you're you know uh, somewhat successful and I don't mean you know a huge star of course you get way overpaid then but you know uh, it's interesting there's that divide but most actors continue doing theater because that's the experience that gives them that you know, character development from beginning to end when you're on a film shoot, or especially if you're doing commercials or TV. My wife does a lot of what they call under five, which means five lines or less on sitcoms. Well, there's no joy in that. I mean, it's a great experience, but it's not a creative release of, oh, I went through this nice, you know, arc of my character. You're literally saying a couple lines and then you're gone. And that, it's great and it pays well, so we love it. Um, but it's it, she does theater because she, that's what she wants to do. She wants to act and, and embody a character and have an arc and, and have people applaud. And, you know, so it, I think that works in, in other fields too in the arts. I'm not familiar as much with that, but there's this great divide between the passion for it and the money for it. And honestly, those, those walls should be broken down a little bit. I don't know how to do that. Honestly, I think it's so ingrained, it's just going to take a concerted effort to say, hey, you know what? It's okay to be a graphic artist. A lot of graphic artists are also visual artists, but they're making the money on the graphic artist side. It's not dissimilar to, you know, my wife who's maybe making money doing commercials or doing, you know, a couple of funny lines on a sitcom versus her, her passion, which is the, the free theater stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you see a um, trend or maybe like, a new trend coming up later with um, technology being more introduced in schools with that being um, kind of fueling a different kind of creativity like you said with YouTube and Instagram how there's way more people being creative my mom's in 
our, edu our um, technology education. And so now they have smart boards. Every kid has a tablet. And I feel like that's giving students a tool that's different than a paintbrush and a canvas to be creative. Yeah, and, and, and once again, if you break it back to creativity and not make it about a specific art form, then that that's great. I mean, it's there's no difference really between technology and art if you're talking about being creative or science. I mean, really, science and some math. Yeah, my brother was a math guy, and and he dealt with abstract mathematics that he's explained to me many many times, and I've never understood. Um, but it's creative. I mean, he, his argument is it's the most creative because it's totally separated from practical in a sense it's a, it's a very interesting approach but all of that it's about an outlook not so much necessarily the tools used and once again i think the i generation or generation z kids don't make as big a distinction between technology and art and science and all that stuff because they've had it their whole lives they've had smartphones their whole lives or they've existed their whole life so their their silos are different the part that concerns me is every kid wants to be the next YouTube star making $4 million, mm -hmm. and that just doesn't work. I mean, there's too many people making stuff with the same number watching yeah. stuff. You can't have everyone be a star. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what that's going to do. I think millennials have a touch of that, nothing personal, um, that, you know, I'm special, and, and, and I wasn't... I mean, my parents taught me that, that I was special to them, but we weren't really ingrained with that participation award and that, you know your creation matters sort of stuff. It's like, oh, that's great that you're into that. It wasn't, oh, you're the most amazing thing ever. You know, <laughs> yeah. American Idol, I mean, there's a lot of examples. Sorry, I used an outdated reference. The Voice, <laughs> oh, no. you know, the kids that get on there that, you know, they've, I'm sure, been told all their lives that they're great singers and they're just not. You know, and that's okay. <laughs> Have a passion for it and learn, keep learning. But um, I do worry about the, the particularly the I generation and their, their need for fame and money as opposed to creative satisfaction because I, I personally think the pathway to creative satisfaction is doing what you like and what moves you and sharing it with others and loving that and if that leads to money that's great mm -hmm. but if, it, if you're just going for the money I think it gets in the way of the creativity but I, I could be wrong on that it could be because I haven't made money in my creative <laughs> life, so I don't want to believe that the, <laughs> it obviously must be a problem with the system, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of course. What's the like call to action for people or parents that want that agree with you and they think that it's important? What can they do to help get our education or creative education into schools? I think involvement is the key, and I would argue that it's starting in, in elementary school because that's where the parents have the most influence and impact. Join your PTAs, but join your PTAs to advocate for the arts. PTAs are actually a big supporter of the arts, and throw out there to the, your fellow parents, hey, what if we changed the name of this? What if we started calling it creative education? I think, I really do believe it's you know gay marriage versus marriage equality. Once they changed that brand, it changed very, very quickly. Um, uh, uh, global warming, climate change. Mm -hmm. It's all about that brand. So I would encourage parents to get involved with your schools. Even if your kids aren't wanting to be artists, you want them to get as much creativity as they can. You want them to learn about how to tap into their creativity Otherwise, they're not going to be successful, as successful as they could be later in life in the work environment, and even as human beings, I, I believe. So get involved with your PTAs, um, you know, reach out to them, get your other parents talking about creative education, and then you know, in a respectful and, and strategic way, talk to the leaders of your schools, and, and hopefully then they'll talk to their districts. So it kind of has to be that that reverse tree approach where you start at the roots and then, you know, build up. And I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but that's, you know, physical education didn't either. It took, it took a generation to kind of embrace that. And it took a president when Kennedy that really advocated for that. So I'm hoping that someday, you know, the leadership will buy into it, but for right now it needs to be grassroots. Mm -hmm. That's great. I love it. I know. There's so much passion. There is. Yeah. And it's super important. Absolutely. Well, I think too, like just like jumping off of um, what you're saying, it's all about changing the thought process as a parent too. 
right now I feel like um, so many parents just think, what's going to get my kid into college? Are they getting an athletic scholarship? Are they going to get a great score in their SATs? But it should really be thinking beyond that, what's going to help them be successful in the workforce? And that's being a creative and dynamic like learner and worker. And When you start hearing now about the some of the kids who are getting into those mm-hmm. like fancy colleges, they're going outside the lines and they're sending in videos and doing these other approaches. You, I mean, you still have to have the basis there. Yeah. You have to be a good student. You have to do your work. It's creativity is not instead of. In it's addition on, to. It's in addition to. And it's a different way to formulate how you do things. But yeah, I mean, it's the exception probably, but you hear about these, you know, the kids who write the amazing essays. Mm-hmm. That that essay can count as much as your SAT scores if you really move the reader to, you know, hey, I've struggled as a student because I have dyslexia or something, but I've gotten, you know, look at how it's improved, even though I, my first couple of years of high school wasn't great in the grade department, but, you know, and I'm catching up, but I have a passion and yeah. I think people would respond to that human, especially if it's written eloquently and it creates that connection. I, I, I think it would be hard for somebody to say, yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. He's got five, <laughs> two, you know, he needed 10 more points on the SATs. Yeah. It, can, it can help with things when, you know, and honestly, there's so many kids that are just struggling to get through school. I mean, school is not easy. It wasn't easy when I was a kid. It got even worse when you guys were kids. And I think it's probably even worse now. And it's because of peer pressure and it's because of social media and it's because of the availability of drugs and all this stuff. And it's real easy to get lost. Arts and creativity is a way to stay focused and to channel your your feelings into something positive instead of negative. I, d- I just encourage everyone to, to look and find that thing that makes them excited. It can be absolutely sports. It can be city lead. I mean, um, school leadership. It can be whatever you're into, but, but find that thing that makes you want to go to school. Cause if you hate going to school, it's going to be hard to succeed. And parents look for what excites your kid and, and try to encourage that. And, and the investment of energy into that is going to be so much better than investing into helping your kid get off of drugs or alcohol or, you know, out of jail because they did something stupid. Um, and I know that sounds really dramatic, but let's be honest. If, if you're struggling and you don't have a purpose, you're going to find a purpose that's maybe not so positive. So um, everybody try to find positive things and embrace your creativity. It is, I believe, I'm not a religious person. I'm going to be spiritual <laughs> for just a moment. I believe it is what makes human beings unique. I believe it is that spark is creativity. Other animals and creatures have strong minds. You know, dolphins you always hear about. But <laughs> them dolphins. Them dolphins. But I haven't seen any good dolphin theater in a long time. And yeah, I don't count SeaWorld because they're just doing flips. It's not the same. So it's Too technical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think creativity is that important. I think it actually is what makes humans humans. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, my honor. I really appreciate giving getting a chance to spew that out there. Hopefully it won't uh, cause your uh, subscribers to go down. No, no, definitely not. My dad will be very happy. Yeah. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> um, do you, do we want to move on? Yeah. Should we jump on into our featured artist? Yes. Uh, can I give this to you to read? Sure. Um, you don't have to. Do you want me to read it? Keep talking. Uh, so our featured artist is um, Super A. Oh, okay. I'm there now. Okay. <laughs> so our art artist. <laughs> Sorry, you? sidetrack. Stefan is the same name as our art news. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, this we're is keeping a, we're not with it. <laughs> we're keep, well, uh, so Super A... His real name is uh, Stefan. Stefan uh, Thielen, and he is a oh. anti-superhero identity super A, is a Dutch artist who uses traditional painting technique and a knack for design to create compositions that manipulate familiar iconog- iconography into mm-hmm. mind-bending and inquisitive pieces. All right. So we are going to post his um, some of his photos on the gram. Um but the one we're going to focus on today is the Roadrunner. Oh, see, I was hoping the, the Minnie Mouse. Hmm. 
But we could do the Roadrunner. Can you do both yeah, we'll in do contrast? Both. Yes, we can. I didn't pick a piece because I wanted to leave it up to us to kind of decide which we played a game in grad school um, where you look at what they had in their studio and then pick which piece you would take home with you. Right, which one speaks to you in yes. the moment, basically. Um, and so I kind of think that we should post like your favorite piece versus mine versus Phil's. Oh, let's do it. Okay. Okay. So mine would be, I really like the Minnie Mouse, just because I like the mouses, mice? The mice. <laughs> uh, crawling like in and around her. So all of his okay. pieces, once I started looking closely, they had... Um, like if he has the princesses, you can see kind of a more realistic human figure encased in the princess. Yeah, which I actually, when you first posted the princess on your personal Instagram, mm-hmm. um, I didn't see it. And then when we dove into him um, before the podcast, I was like, this is so cool. Um, so my favorite actually was the Speed Limit 45 um, with the Roadrunner, uh, tr- the Roadrunner Trapped series. Right, which has a roadrunner inside a roadrunner, which is kind of his thing, right? With Mm -hmm. the sign behind it, which I'm always drawn to signs. (laughs) And so what I, his work is aesthetically pleasing. It's aesthetically pleasing. And I I don't want to say kitschy because that is taken poorly in the art world. It's It's a little kitschy, but there's also something about it that I enjoy. Um, Like his cat series is probably my second favorite where yeah, he has the a Hello, Hello Kitty. Kitty and an It Kitty entrapped in Hello Kitty. Um, so there's something very cutesy about it, but it also um, I find pretty interesting. Yeah, I love that it's cute and it's aesthetically pleasing, but it's a different spin on something we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And they're recognizable images. Yes. It's really cool. Um, Phil, what's your favorite? Well, it's interesting. Um, first of all, I, I want to say that they're not disturbing, and that surprises me. Because normally when someone works in this mm-hmm. medium where they're taking like famous figures and kind of playing with them, especially if there's something inside the other one, oftentimes it is something disturbing coming through, and it's kind of like... I don't want to say the easy path because everyone has the right to do what they want, but these still maintain the fun and the whimsy of the original characters and sometimes heightens it like the kitty ones. I do find the Batman one um, interesting because uh, where the bat is is hanging upside down and in his groin region, <laughs> so it's a little odd to me. I didn't me. notice that um, one before. <laughs> I, I am drawn to Batman because I grew up, uh, actually, the TV series, Batman mm-hmm. 66. I was born in 66. Now you really know my age. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, that character holds a lot of importance to me in my life. But there's something that's the one that I would say is the exception where it's kind of disturbing to me a little bit. Um, and I really like... Uh, the Alice in Wonderland, which is another one that that has always been something I've been attracted to. And once again, almost everyone who deals in Alice in Wonderland goes the dark when they do anything mm-hmm. with it. And there's a little bit of a darkness in terms of lighting or, you know, um, palette, um, but it's not disturbing to me at all. And there's a little girl through Alice there's a human face which I find really interesting yeah. and as opposed to some of the others where it's a you know like a real cat inside a cat this is a real person inside the the cartoon version and I don't know that speaks to me but like I say it's mainly because I have a fondness and have read Alice in Wonderland probably about 50 times in my life so <laughs> I really like with that one too how um the eyes on the real girl within her are so sad they're portraying so much just that one little sliver of the painting. And you still have a cat in the cat in the yeah. Cheshire cat next to it. So that would be my favorite, would be the, I think it's called, what is it called? Um, do, do, do. Sorry, folks. It's the Alice in Wonderland. We're all mad here. We're all mad here. here series. But very interesting work and interesting that it's a non-American artist Mm -hmm. because I think our iconography or our characters carry even a different weight when you get outside of America because it's it's 
partially about what they mean, but also partially about what America means. You know, the fact that culturally we've kind of taken over the world. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, he says that he's providing playful puzzles to decipher, which I think goes off of your statement where they're not very disturbing. They're just kind of bringing you in to look at it closer. And Yeah, and make you look at something you've seen a bunch of times before, you know, like a Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. or, a, uh, uh, you know, Daffy Duck or whatever, but you have to stop and look at it differently. You have mm-hmm. to kind of, yeah, it's very interesting stuff. And we all know that Mi- Minnie Mouse is a mouse, but then I was like, being oh, able yeah. to picture her as, a, as an actual a mouse. mice. Yeah. A mouse. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you rethink about the characters. It really does. And yeah. how you, like with the Alice in Wonderland, how you uh, connect with them. Yeah, with the animation, with the real life portrayal. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting how he did it with um, like the tightrope around it all. Um, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but when I first came to you, I was like, is this digital? Did he paint them? It just looks so, I don't know, realistic right, and cool looks to like me. Yeah. Almost a digital trick yeah. as opposed to a painting. Absolutely. Which speaks to our time too, right? Because, yeah. you know, that, that line between, like we were talking about earlier, between digital and, and practical is, is getting blended, which mm-hmm. is great. I love it. I'd buy it. Yeah. Um, so check out um, his pieces on our Instagram. And we'll link his so you can check out more of his work. Moving on to our next Stefan, because we're keeping with the name. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Art News. Art News. Da-da-da. My favorite segment. (laughs) (laughs) And this is an article I'm really excited about. Okay. Can you just say his name for me? Um, Stefan Britweiser. Britweiser. Okay. So (laughs) Stefan is a serial art thief. Um, He was arrested again. Um, having served a 60-year jail sentence, he became under suspicion again for offering a 19th century paperweight on eBay. Not the move. <laughs> Not the move. <laughs> so he's raided museums around France, Switzerland, Germany, and other countries from 2004 to 2011. Um, most of his work that he has stolen, he kept in the family house. And um, his mother then destroyed and threw away dozens of paintings and drawings um, and dumped them in a canal. However, she spared the Virgin Mary and abandoned her in a uh, forest chapel because, you know, can't destroy the Virgin Mary. (laughs) You really can't. Yeah, that's a bad move. That's that's bad juju. (laughs) He confessed um, to stealing more than 150 pieces around um, or pieces from museums and um, galleries and auction houses and they found um, 1,600 1,600 dollars in buckets in his house so he's being arrested again (laughs) I just love this <laughs> to be clear, you don't love that someone's stealing art. No, of course not. But I mean, it's entertaining. Um, I don't think it's okay. Disclaimer: yeah, she gonna... definitely should not have destroyed the art. I really the don't mom, like that. Yeah, that's horrible. the mom should be jailed for that alone. I just I've said it before: the art world has been riddled with crime, and this is like some Ocean's Twelve right here, like. Let's make a movie about this guy. So I would agree with you. <laughs> However, I read more about his like strategy on how he was stealing uh, pieces. And he would target museums that don't have enough security. Um, and he would go and just walk in, take whatever he was after, and have his girlfriend be the lookout. So it's not as cool as you would think. It's not as cool, but still, like, it's I mean, a, it's that a is a... It's a snatch and grab. It's, yeah. It's, yeah but dine he did and dash, hundreds but... of time. Why did no one figure it out? <laughs> <laughs> well, he just got out of prison and yeah. he's going back to prison probably. So, so yeah. maybe somebody figured it out. <laughs> well, he, he basically put on the internet, I stole this. Right. Like, why did he go to the, like, uh, dark web to sell it? That's what I don't get. If I'm going to be a thief, I'm not going to steal art. It's so traceable right. um, that it's just not a smart business move. 
I think. It, it might be easy to forging. steal. Forging. Forging is an interesting that idea. Is a, it is impressive. It's awful. Yeah. It's impressive. It is. Yes, we do not condone <laughs> forging either. But it is, at least there's there's talent there and people can spend their, you know, life and creative energy to learn how to paint like somebody else and, mm-hmm. yeah. and replicate. But even better, not replicate, but do in the style of. So it's like, oh, we found another Van Gogh, which would not happen. Um, but that's awesome. Yeah. I, I like forging. I'm not so crazy about somebody just stealing. stealing. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to throw this out there for the people. But if you are a forger, if you work in the art world, underworld, <laughs> um, and, you know, are stealing and selling it on the dark web, come on the podcast. We'll keep you anonymous. <laughs> I think it'd make for some great dialogue. <laughs> You'd have to only interview with Lisa, though. I can't keep a secret. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Just, it'll be a nice one-on-one, but um, let's chat. Will you do the voice thing so somebody gets yeah, we'll to Yeah, we'll do a voiceover. I told to learn it. <laughs> But I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I support that part. It would be curious. Yeah. It would be a really interesting uh, conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't be an art forger because I think there's a lot of chemistry involved. Like yeah, you paint. mentioned that oh, before. Right. Because yeah. right. you have to replicate the time and place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, it might be easier if you did more contemporary stuff. But. Mm-hmm. Has I there been know. anyone who tried to forge like Banksy stuff? Like since modern Banksy. day? Oh, Banksy? yeah. Banksy? <laughs> Banksy? He's done his, yeah, that people don't know if it's some of his works are Banksy or not. Mm-hmm. Banksy, I'd love to have you on the <laughs> podcast. Because <laughs> he doesn't always claim them, right? He doesn't, mm-hmm. he usually does, but not initially for sure. So people are like, oh. Mm-hmm. oh so interesting. Yeah. There's a guy who figured it out, right? How to create mystery and, and money. Are you a Banksy fan? I do like Banksy. Okay. Tyler is not my Tyler is. I knew someone was not a Banksy fan. And uh, I like the concept more than I like the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the aura he's created. I mean, the, the, did you ever see the documentary about him? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's a better piece of work, I think, than the actual work that he does. But that's just a personal opinion. So. Uh, how did you feel about his uh, piece in the auction house being shredded? It's his work. He can do with what he wants. But it's but see, that's the point. It's not about the art to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about the experience and the relationship that people have to art and artists. Yeah. That's his big work. I don't think the art, individual art, matters that much. So much of it's super temporary and, you know, and taken, if you just, like, said, okay, here's an artist's work, respond to this one thing. Mm-hmm. I think most people, especially if it wasn't recognizable as Banksy, um, which is hard to kind of classify in a way, would go, oh, well, that's interesting or whatever. But it, once you know, oh, it's Banksy. Oh, let me think about what mm-hmm. it's trying to say. I mean, mm-hmm. it gives it a depth that it's, you know, it's no different than Picasso or Dolly or, you know, Warhol. It's not the, it's not the soup can that's amazing. It's because it's this guy who chose to paint a soup can. Yeah. That was the, it wasn't the artistry yeah. of painting a soup can. It's like, who the heck would choose to paint a soup can? We were at one of the fairs um, in L.A. this past weekend, two weekends ago. Two weekends ago. And uh, we passed by, it was just a white sheet of paper and it had a line and a chair drawn. And I just kind of like went right past it. And Tyler was like, actually, I really like this piece. And it ended up being a Marina Branovich oh, really? piece. And I was I did the same thing. I was like, well, now I have to stare right, at yeah. it because yeah, it's it means Marina, something. Yeah, like, and I love her. And oh, wow. How could I just walk by and exactly. not realize that this was her piece? Man, you're the artist. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Fail. Bye. I'm sorry. No. Um, with I saw like a brief YouTube clip about the Banksy piece um, being shredded. Did that happen after it was sold? Yes. Did they ever interview the person who bought it? Uh, probably, but it's worth more now. Right, oh, for That's sure. What everyone. I mean, he still owns the, like he or she still way. owns the shreds. Yeah. So, I mean, it's once again, it's the experience more than the art yeah. because yeah. It's almost it like was such a, a performance piece. Move. <laughs> As an artist, oh, so I badass. highly respect it. But there's talk of it being um, like all the galleries were in on it. Oh, that, that it they was knew. A stunt, yeah. but still. Well, but everything's a stunt, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. I mean, but, someone had to have been in on it. Yeah, because everything is inspected, and 
you would think that you couldn't pass along a shredder within a uh, frame right. that wouldn't be like seen is, or noticed. Well, is that and I'm sure you need power, him, right? So yeah, I mean, there's a it lot of yeah. plugged in, right? So there's a lot of factors. Somebody they had to know, mm-hmm. but but they of course they're gonna love that. I mean, it got oh, a lot yeah. of coverage. So I remember in film school that a, a guy a couple years ahead of me showed a film about him being crazy, basically, and it came off the projector and went into a, a trash can and burned as oh, he was wow. showing it. Um, but it was not meant as some sort of statement other than he was losing his marbles, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, and he went away. He did not continue at school. So, but but it, it reminds me of the same sort of thing, yeah. but coming from a very different motivation, it's like, you're going to see my art once and then it's going to disappear because it's too personal maybe or yeah. something. So, But Banksy's never feel, it's never emotional. Yeah. That's another example of I, I never have an emotional reaction. I have an intellectual or amusement reaction instead of a, an emotional reaction to his work and his persona. Yeah. So for me, that's not what I need. I need more. I need more. Super cool. Yeah. All right. So our second topic, if we're all good with moving on. Absolutely. All right, so um, Art News released a brief look at the high and wildly desperate prices art fairs charge for admission. So um, I thought this would be an interesting one because you are an arts and events manager. Um, this kind of combines both, but it was um, basically calling to action with Freeze uh, Los Angeles coming two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> they had just over 70 galleries in attendance um, and were charging, charging $50 to get in. Um, the exhibit did sell out, but in comparison, when you look at Art Basel Miami, which was also $50 and had 268 galleries in attendance, you weren't getting quite as big uh, bang for your buck. Um, and so the big question they're prompting is, are ticket prices too high? Um, where the average consumer can't go and enjoy the art. Well, I think art fairs are not motivated to... Um, the general public, mm-hmm. um, they're motivated to sell artwork. So Freeze, I think LA sold out. So honestly, next year they can really raise their prices. Um, yeah, I don't know your thoughts. It's one of the problems I think with the art world and particularly the visual art world is there's this cost to entry and that's great for now because it drives up prices and it, that way everyone at Freeze or some of these more expensive ones are of the, the, the uh, ability to pay for art, but that's not a great way to build the next generation. Yeah, I, I wouldn't pay 50 bucks. I was curious about Freeze, but I wasn't gonna pay 50 bucks to go check it out, even though it was the first time there. And I think you're right, that they're because they sold out, they're probably gonna raise it and they'll probably get more gallery participation it was their first year of being mm-hmm. um, here that so I'm sure it'll grow in the future but yeah I, I think they're sometimes shooting themselves in the foot I think the smarter thing and this is what we try to do is have you know a an affordable option and then a more expensive like your special option <laughs> which I kind of hate that too on a, on a deep level but at least you can then achieve what you were talking about Catherine of having those high-end people feel special they can have a lounge to themselves they can get free champagne they can you know maybe they pay a hundred bucks well and Freeze had bucks. that and yeah. it was like 250 oh, yeah. right right but but that's where you get the folks that, that you know they're going to pay that if they can afford to buy a piece of art there unless it's you know a postcard yeah. <laughs> they they so you can create the two levels and even if you i don't know made it really clear that hey we're doing this to promote art buyers of the future i think even the, the older and it tends to be older but richer folks who can buy art would understand that and and maybe embrace that you know there's 20-somethings or 30-somethings there that, that maybe aren't of the same class at that point. But mm-hmm. I do think that's part of the snobbery, that's maybe mm-hmm. not the right word, that the arts have that is a disservice and is going to definitely hurt the arts in the future, potentially. Yeah, I, I'm i torn on it. Like From the event side, I, I'm with you. Jack up those prices again. <laughs> I mean, just because it's you can. Um, but on the flip side, I think something that like Art Basel, you're really getting your money's worth. Um, but Freeze, I think, should have promoted ancillary events more. 
as a part of Freeze Week, kind of like Basel does or um, South by Southwest, um, Austin City Limits. They have an event that costs a lot, but they also help promote all the local events that are free. And there was a lot of gallery shows that week um, that they could have sold as a part of the Freeze Week and had a bigger impact that way, where, yeah, you could pay that $50 to get in, uh, but check out every all the other participating galleries that are around Los Angeles and pro- promote the arts as a whole in L.A. Um, and that's, I think, the spin I would have taken on it. Yeah. That's a good approach. I mean, that's basically doing the same thing, but it mm-hmm. actually gives them more value. Yeah. Because then they're spearheading this kind of, like, celebrate the arts. Exactly. I think, I think that's brilliant. So. Awesome. Well, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> End in brilliance, always. <laughs> um, any last comments? Uh, just remember, I'm going to be the pusher to follow us on Instagram, yes. uh, Art World Podcast. Um, and also remember to, if you're going to rate us, <laughs> okay, please <laughs> tread lightly here. Uh, if you have a critique on this podcast, we are all for critiques. Um, so let us know when you are rating us. We got, you know, a three star, but we have no idea why. Here's my, love to know here's why. my deal. <laughs> I, as we spoke about before, I would be the immature art artist getting a critique. <laughs> And I think it's just, it's low. that You throw us a three star and don't tell me why. Let me improve. <laughs> All we want to do I'm is improve. I'm steaming. <laughs> or even better, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Hit us with that five star and leave a mean comment. Okay? <laughs> I like Give this us, You know, a little compliment. And a little critique all in one. A compliment sandwich, one might call it. <laughs> Roses and thorns. Exactly. used to call it in theater because you had to compliment before you could tear down. Yes, that's what I need. Um, thank you. And <laughs> Phil, thank you so much for being a guest. Yes, you were amazing you. and this, this was you. awesome. Had a great time. Thanks. And listen, everybody, and share with your friends. Yes. <laughs> all right. Love Bye. you guys. Bye. Bye.